Hey everyone, and welcome to another Learning Tech Talks where we are continuing to live life at the intersection of business, technology, and the human experience. I'm Christopher Lind, your host, and today I am joined in this conversation by Kian Katan Farouche. Did I pronounce it right? It's been a while since I've had you on the show. You did it. You did it. Nailed it. Yes. And he is the founder and CEO of a company called WorkEra. You are a repeat guest now, Kian. So this is the second time you've been on. But a lot has happened since we last talked last year. So thank you so much. You you said you're over in Paris right now, right? Yeah, that's that's right. Thank you for having yeah. me again, Christopher. And good to see you, everyone. I'm over in Paris. I'm going back to San Francisco tomorrow where I live. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I was really looking forward to having you back because we had a really impactful conversation on kind of what was going on in the skills world and at the time where artificial intelligence was starting to play a, a bigger role in that, a lot has likely happened in that time. So, but for those who may have not caught our first conversation, I'd be really curious, you know, for people who may not be familiar with WorkEra, how do you describe it to people when you say, yeah, I founded a company called WorkEra? What do you tell them you do? Yeah, I usually start by uh, giving a little bit about my background. I, uh, I am a, a founding member of a company called DeepLearning.ai, which uh, started by Andrew Eng. Uh, uh, we teach AI uh, at large scale to a lot of people from technical practitioners to non-technical practitioners. Um, I also have been teaching the deep learning classes at Stanford for about six years uh, now. And those focus on highly technical topics within deep learning. And around 2019, a lot of our students, and we're talking, you know, 4 million students. It's really broad-based. Those are the, some of the top courses on Coursera. A lot of our students uh, who work at enterprises and their employers were telling us, we live in a world now where the limiting factor in our career is not content anymore. We struggle yeah. actually with things like understanding our skills, understanding where are our gaps, where are our strengths, and then getting the right mentorship, getting the right personalization on top of it in our work. And we started WorkEra based on that. We're going to come with a hyper-focus on skills measurements in order to help enterprises, governments, organizations transform, go from A to B and understand measurably how they're moving and then integrate with their content world, uh, get it okay. and, and put it in a personalized manner. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I appreciated when I first got connected with you was the fact that in some ways you were looking into the future a little bit to what people needed that they may not have at the time realized because I mean, the skills conversation has been going on for a while. It's not like it's brand new in the past couple of years, but some of the problems you described that people historically have been trying to solve has been a heavy area of focus. But what you're talking about is really moving further upstream from that and saying, I get people need to develop skills, but if you don't have the framework and the groundwork laid for, right, but what is the actual underlying infrastructure you're looking to build towards and how do you connect that to business problems, then really what are you doing? There may be a whole lot of activity happening in your organization that if you were to actually try and calculate, okay, what value did we get out of all that investment? You may have a difficult time justifying that investment. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the first step was people realize the future is skills-based skills-based upskilling, yes. skills-based hiring, skills-based everything. The second step was a lot of vendors in the market started to talk about skills because that's what people wanted to hear. But 
a lot of noise came into the market. You know, oh, there was a, a lot, lot of, of noise. Uh, yeah, a lot of lot of people still think you, you can you can measure skills with slight with noisy signals. You know, things like completing a class or things like what you have on your resume or things like something you may have wrote somewhere. And, uh, and it made it difficult to narrow down the conversation or, hey, this is what the definition of a skill is. Here is how it's tied to a cognitive level in Bloom's taxonomy. Here is what a domain is. Here is how you measure those skills in a valid way. Here is how you report them. And I think the, 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 the market is maturing where today I yes. see more and more learning leaders, understanding, you know, when we talk about skills, this, this is a skill, this is a valid skills measurement, this is a noisy skill measurement, and understanding what to do with it. Um, yeah. yeah, well, and I would agree, and I've been very happy to see some of the maturity in this, because, and just for folks who are watching live, uh, feel free to ask questions and things along the way, I love engaging in real time, because one of the things we are going to get into is actually showing not only how some of this can come to life, but how artificial intelligence is actually practically helping solve some of this because i think back to uh, i mean years ago really what it came to being more skills based it was attaching labels to content i mean like you said it was resumes it was resumes and stuff like that and then maybe the development activities you had in your organization you would hashtag or put metadata associated with it and like you said oh you completed this thing we're going to give you credit for xyz skills which it was a foundation, but it really didn't tell us much about, okay, well, I don't, I still don't really know what Kian knows other than he did some things and he had some job experiences. I can make some assumptions based on that, but it really didn't give me the detail of who you were and what you were capable of. Okay. That's right. So, so with that one, um, I am curious because I think this will be helpful for people how do you, and I think you said this a minute ago, the language we use matters a lot because a lot of times people say skills, but you're like, wait, are you talking about a skill or are you talking, what is the framework? I'm going like this. Like, what is the framework that you see in terms of, okay, skill is at the granular level. Then where does it go up from there? Because, and we'll see this in your system, but how do you actually structure and define the different levels of that? Yeah, I, I can tell you what I like the most, and there's flexibility, there's no ground truth, but I like to think of a skill as something that is measurable, that is tied to a cognitive level in Bloom's taxonomy. So it could be, you know, yeah. at the recall level, recall a certain concept. It could be apply uh, a, a certain a skill. Uh, it could be also create or analyze or synthesize a certain situation and uh, because of that I, the reason i like to call that those a skill and i'll show you a few examples later on it's okay. because you want to make decisions based on skills and knowing yes. that someone uh, says they're good or bad at machine learning or at software engineering or at digital literacy will not help you provide them with the right training provide them with the right opportunities internally, or even provide them with the right mentorship. So you need to go hyper granular if you want to make sound decision based on skills. Well, because going back to that point, going back to that point, and this is what I see with some of the historical ways we've done it, that it broke down was somebody may say, I've managed projects. And you're like, well, okay, but I don't know what you've done within that. And there's a lot that goes into project management to say, I mean, are you, do you just know the terminology? 
Do you actually understand how to set up dependencies and set up, you know, this kind do you actually understand stakeholder management? It really didn't give you the level of granularity to know, is this a person that I can put on a project management task and they will complete it successfully? That's right. That's right. And I think if you, it depends on your intent. If you're a learning leader looking at performing some workforce planning over the next few years, you want to know sort of at a high level what skills you have in-house, maybe managing projects is granular enough for you. But if you're looking at upskilling, if you're looking at reskilling, at retraining, if you're looking at matching people to the right projects, putting together the right teams, that's definitely not enough. You need to break it down. You need to measure people and understand their gaps. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so that, that's, that's why I think of a skill as a granular atomic uh, concept. Okay. Well, and, and to me, when I look at it, again, we're using the computer technology kind of lens on this. I look at it as like the ones and zeros of what people are capable of doing. You're really getting down to that level of, yeah, you either can or you can't at this level of this. But one of the questions that came up in the, con- con- and this is where I think this language matters. So you got skills. Some people say competencies. Sometimes people mean the same thing. Sometimes they mean a very different thing. How do you see the difference between, say, a skill versus a competency, or are they synonymous? Yeah. And you know, disclaimer, I'm not a psychometrician, but I've been working with, with psychometricians yeah. for four years. So most of what I know is from <laughs> Don't them. worry. I'm not going to hold uh, you accountable I, to saying no, but, the wrong uh, thing or anything like that. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you what I, I think. I think that when, when I work with a, a company or a learning leader, the first thing is we're going to go through a crosswalk activity. Uh, Worker psychometricians would come in. They will come in with their business uh, project leaders, and we're going to identify those business objectives and projects that you have, how can we turn them into competency models? Some okay. call it job architecture, competency models. Those competency models start at the domain, break down a domain like project management into granular pieces that are each tied, start with a verb, tied to Bloom's taxonomy, create the assessments that are tied to those skills and then assess the team, give them feedback on their gaps and then start delivering personalized learning. So that's that's how that's the full pipeline and how I think of it. Okay, super super helpful. And again, I think we're what we're talking about here helps unpack some of the complexity behind this because again, what my observation has been having spent my career in the field is it's sometimes we either stop short and we stop at that higher domain level and we go oh project management and you're like, well, project management, I mean, that that is a really complex competency. That's a suite of skills. That's not a skill type of a thing. We either stop there. And I don't know that we've historically always gone into that level of granularity, but, and this is where you're going to see the tie into this, that's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of data. It's a lot of analysis to actually get to that point. So I'm curious for you, and I I think I know your answer to this, but to me, this was one of the most exciting parts about artificial intelligence and where generative AI was going was this thing that used to feel like an impossible task, which largely left organizations either moving way too slow or they would stop at that domain level because it was like, well, we don't have time to get into the weeds of all of this stuff. It was actually making that more accessible. Is that something you would agree is really changing with where technology is? Yeah, for sure. I I could actually show you what it looks like, but it is completely changing the way you break down a domain into skills, the way you 
maintain version control those skills ontologies make them private or make them public the way you handle skills ontologies is completely going to change and also the way you communicate with your workforce in terms of skills and proficiencies is already changing because when measurement starts to come and become sort of table stakes in an organization then you can talk about standards you can talk about aligning quality of work across teams you can talk about skills just like you couldn't before even beyond the lnd team and so all of that is now possible project management is a great example we could we could actually break it down together okay okay well and i want to get into that and greg by the way i i'll bring this one up because i think we'll get to it as we go through this conversation but i think this again talks about some of the shift you're hitting on kian that i'm even seeing from the way technology is changing and the way the discussion around skills is happening. Because historically, we do have these legacy learning systems that even today, many leaders still kind of rely on, well, but did people do the thing in the LMS? And I deal with this on a regular basis of people going, hey, we need to make sure this goes in the LMS to demonstrate people have it, have completed it. And I, I, that's where I don't necessarily think what we're seeing in the trajectory of change is going to eliminate what we did before, but I think it is going to adapt the way that we do it. I don't know. What are you seeing, Kian? Are you seeing organizations still kind of, because right now I feel like we're in this weird transitional stage. I, I tend to think of an LMS as a, as a container, uh, sort of, and then I feel you need, you need content to leave somewhere, whether it's on an LMS or somewhere else. But, uh, but skills measurement is a completely different uh, ball game. It has, not much yes. to do with content. If anything, no, it doesn't. And I, I read the question, by the way. It to me, um, skills measurements need to be objective. It means you yes. know it, it is it is some. It, there is a difference between measuring skills on the job that you care about and measuring a skill that was just learned in a video right after it was learned in the video because the video decided to teach it. Uh, yes. In in theory, if you have complete alignment between business objectives, skills, and content, then you're all good. But in practice, there's a lot of misalignment introduced at every level. Your business objectives don't align with the courses that providers sell. So you introduce a skills framework in the middle to say, I want to translate those business objectives into skills. And then I want to make sure the content I'm contracting with addresses those skills, teaches those skills. So those are the three yeah. levels I look at it at. I look at. Well, and the point that you bring up that I would encourage every learning leader or any talent leader in the space is it is changing the conversation and the way we engage on things at a core level. Because, you know, the days of, I mean, they're still here, but this is something that I think as learning leaders, we need to change the days of, hey, what course do you want? they have to go because of the way organizations are moving to a more skill-based framework. And to your point, I agree that I think content that's like table stakes of, yeah, at some point you have to get to that, but you have to do all this work further upstream, which is where we're going to spend a decent chunk of our time is how do you actually start to translate those conversations from, okay, you've got this business challenge ahead of you. How does that actually translate into skills? And that's really where the conversation needs to happen. Agree, disagree, thoughts, comments on that one. Yeah, I could, I could give you a practical example that is relevant yeah, to the that. last six months. Uh, generative AI. Generative AI is top of mind for a lot of uh, C-level executives. So CEOs are going to put together a task force, a uh, special squad with 
someone from business and technology, like usually the chief data officer or the CIO, and someone from learning and development or HR. And these two people are going to have to figure out the Gen AI workforce strategy. And typically the way it goes uh, uh, in, in my conversations is we open uh, three dimensions. First dimension, innovation and projects. So they look at yeah. how much value can we create with generative AI by introducing new groundbreaking features, introducing uh, new solutions, and a lot of companies win business on that area. So they look at technical and technical adjacent individuals. They translate their objectives into skills. They assess them and they provide the personalized learning to each team. The second lens is productivity, where um, an L&D leader or a CDO is going to look at what are uh, the productivity improvements that we're seeing across our workforce and knowing that those productivity improvements over time turn into lower demand. So if one yes. person can do the work of 10 people in a specific job task, you probably need 10 times more headcount for that. So what, are, what is going to happen after that? How are we going to reskill people? Do we have a skills framework that we can put together super fast in order to test a group of people, identify their strength and their gaps and move them in the right area? And then, uh, and then the third lens is uh, risk and security. It's, uh, we're giving a new technology to people um, we're going to run into issues from a privacy perspective, compliance perspective, all sorts of security perspectives. How are we going to make sure they have the tools before we make those, uh, they are equipped with the right skills before we make those available. Um, and, and, and then that's the third angle to certify people before giving them access to new tools. And that framework applies to Gen AI. It applies to a lot of transformative technologies that enterprises are trying to adopt. Okay. Okay. That well, and just to give a practical example on my end from an L and D lens, because this is something that I've had to work through with my own teams over the past multiple years. But one of the examples where we went through this exercise for our own teams was as we were preparing to be more skills based and focus on, hey, how do we actually do this well? Business consulting was very much a right. That's at the what, what's the word you use um, at the higher Boy. level. Yeah. Right. So business consulting skills was an area of development within my own teams where I said, we need to actually increase this. But then we had to deconstruct it and say, okay, right. But what does that really look like in learning and development? Because business consulting skills and learning is different than a finance analyst. And so we had to deconstruct that into, okay, well, within that we have business process improvement. We have you know, the human centered design. There were these other elements that we then had to say, okay, and then what does that look like? And then how are we going to assess whether people are doing those, what gaps they have, and then how we can build those gaps. So we were even doing some of this work internally to our own teams based on what we knew we were needing to achieve as an L&D organization. And that's the kind of work that historically has been massively, massively time consuming. And a lot of this stuff lived in spreadsheets. It lived on PowerPoints. I remember one specific example probably over a decade ago, where we brought in a big four consulting firm mm -hmm. to do this work. <laughs> and we only did it for like a small segment of the organization. And it was like a two-year project to even get to this point. And by the time we got there, it was too late. I mean, it had already adapted and evolved in time. You just could never keep up on it. That was always one of the historic challenges I saw with making these kinds of shifts. Yeah, yeah. And that makes total sense. I would even say, there are two types of skills uh, that we see, skills that have a longer half-life and skills that have a shorter half-life. Uh, 
if you yep. embark on this journey for a skill whose half-life is a year, you're doomed to fail because the skill will be irrelevant by the time your project ends. Um, yep. So you can afford to do certain things on skills with longer half-lives that you cannot with skills that are closer to the cutting edge, moving super fast. Okay. Well, and, and I think that goes back to, I th I'll give credit to, I think Matthew Daniel was one of the first people I heard talk about that, but he talked about durable skills versus, he had another word to perishable. describe the other ones. Perishable, right? Durable versus perishable and this whole idea of, hey, how are we prioritizing skills, which matters a lot for L&D leaders because you should be going, look, developing skills is not something that happens quickly. You don't send somebody to a Coursera course and go, like, we're done. There's a lot more to it. So how do you prioritize? Now, one question I have just based on what we discussed that Greg brings up, and I did see your question, Josh, so we'll pull it in. As you're engaging with this, I've got my take on this, but as you engage with organizations, I completely relate to this question where going back to, we're still in this transitional stage where people are talking about skills they're thinking about skills, they're using the right words, but they don't necessarily have the practical experience or the practical history to go, I know what this looks like. Have you seen things that work well to help people avoid this shift from, okay, I'm starting to think about skills, I get it, so what's the course we're gonna roll out? And actually get them to go, well, actually, no, we need to do a little bit of this work to deconstruct this, because a lot of people wanna go from point A to point Z and skip everything in between. Yeah, it's a, it's a very relevant question. To me, you know, I I had I think up to today it was difficult to in near real time translate skills, uh, translate projects and business objectives which leaders care about into skills. So most leaders were skipping the middle state. They were going from were. we have a huge initiative in cloud give me an AWS certification. That's what we need. <laughs> Even if they did not do the middle ground, which is what exactly do we mean by achieving those projects? Let's align first around the ontology. Because of the painful process of creating skills taxonomies and skills ontologies and always a lag between uh, you know, the time they want it and the time they get it, it was not possible yeah. to align the conversation around skills. I think now it's possible. I think now you can okay. translate projects into skills seamlessly move super fast into then going into the content conversation because ideally a manager should not care about content they, no, no manager has time to monitor the market for what content is the best to recommend to my team that's something someone else should do they should be focused on here are the skills i need in order to deliver my projects that's it yeah. well and i think your point is experientially I would say exactly what you said with a bit of a different flair because this goes back to, to your point, there's always been this pressure to jump from point A to point Z. And we as an industry haven't always had a reputation of moving fast. Or when we tried to have these conversations, it was perceived as you're slowing us down. We have this project and we need to get to this point Z. And you're telling me you want to have this deeper discussion around skills and what that means and all that. I don't have time for that because I know that I just need to get to that. And historically, it's been a relatively time-consuming process if you really wanted to get into the details of that. But I think we're going to show today that's changing significantly. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I think one is speed, what you said. And two is, as, as a learning community, 
we have not been good with data historically. Like when, when a business no, leader have. comes to us and says, show me what skills we have and don't have, the best answer up to recently was here is what people have on their resumes. I'm pulling data from our LMS or from you know course completion data. And here's what I know, which was not enough to convince a business leader. These are our gaps and these are our strengths. But now I think things are going to change. Um, yeah, well, and I think that's a good point because that was... Which is where you got, Greg, to your point. That's where you got into those conversations of, I'm not terribly convinced, so let's just do that Azure certification because that's going to give me some comfort level that we've built some skills type of a thing. And so immediately you were jumping to, let's just do this versus if you do the work that you were going to show here today, you have more of that data to have that conversation. Now, that said, I'll just speak from experience. <laughs> It doesn't eliminate it. And I don't want to set expectations for people that, oh, if you magically start doing this, every conversation goes great. Every business leader is like, I'm good. Like, let's have this deeper conversation on this stuff. There's still a lot of pressure. And we're going to have, I think, quite a window where we're going to continue to have to battle through this of, again, going back to getting good at having these conversations, building the data framework to have educated conversations and being willing to push back and go, listen, we're trying to go slow so we can go fast. I'm not trying to get in your way, but I'm trying to help make sure we actually accomplish things. And that's that's a pretty dynamic change for organizations to have to make. Yeah, for sure. Okay, okay. so with this one, it, it may make sense for us to show it if you're good with this kind of point in the conversation, because I think we can talk in theory of how you might be able to do this, but I think being able to see it does make a pretty big difference for folks. So they can kind of see how is generative AI actually impacting this. So talk to me a little bit about what we're looking at. Yeah, we're, we're looking at uh, skills AI, which is the new work here product. We have a landing page on it that describes what it does, but I, I, I'll just show it to you. The, Essentially, the way you can think of that, this is a part of the Workera admin dashboard that learning uh, uh, folks have access to as well as business leaders, uh, technology leaders as well. And uh, the idea here is Workera provides 10,000 skills that are measurable and calibrated off the shelf uh, to be used. So imagine you look at all your projects, business initiatives, strategic directions, and you look at the overlap between those and the skills that Workera offers. That's a crosswalk activity that we do with you. There is going to be an overlap, but there's also going to be skills that are not on the Workera platform and that you want to be, you want to be authoring. You want to have private skills that match your projects. And this is the okay. skills AI tool and that's what it allows you to do. Those are usually skills that have a very short half-life that don't need to be calibrated as much, but need to be hyper-relevant to your needs. Okay. And so I'm, oh, I'm going, the, to go going to, back yeah. to business conversation because I'm trying to help going back to Greg's question. As you're engaging with someone and you're engaging in a project where it's been identified that there's a gap or a business need, and you now want to say, hey, before we just jump to, let's run out and buy a certification program for all these employees. Let's have a little bit of a deeper discussion of what goes into success for this project. Is that kind of where we are in the process? Yeah, or it's almost... Uh, here is what we want to, these are the competencies that we want to develop in the next 12 months. Okay. Uh, we need to perform uh, pre-assessments in order to understand where we're at, provide uh, goals 
for employees, measure those goals over time and give them feedback along the way. Okay. Because, because going back to this, and I think any L&D leader who listens to this can relate to the fact. And by the way, if you end up just listening to this, we're actually showing something, which I think will help. So check out the video version of it. But going back to this, sometimes the impression can be, and anybody can relate to that situation where it goes, everybody needs this. Everybody needs to go through this. And you go, well, wait a minute. Does everybody need to go through this? And does everybody need what? Like, what is that? And that's the question we're trying to address through this is, let's actually dig into the meat of what real skills are going on and how confident are we that everybody needs them? Going back to a personalized learning approach of saying, well, maybe Kian needs X, Y, and Z, but Christopher needs L, M, and N because it's slightly different based on their backgrounds and experiences. Is that kind of what we're trying to solve for by going through this? That's right. That's right. The okay. goal is ultimately to personalize the upskilling experience uh, for employees. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's walk it forward. So that's where we are in this. You've, whether it's project-based, whether it's you know, you're looking out into the future saying, we think we have a gap in said area. But before we just jump to solutions, which is based on the comments, the place we often find ourselves trapped in, let's do some of this work, but not necessarily dramatically slow things down. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really, let's create an ontology that we can maintain, that we can modify, that we can edit uh, on things that we care about. Okay. And so, so that we can ultimately measure whether what we're doing is having an impact on it or not. That's right. Ultimately, you want in six months from now to show that you have a learning velocity that is best in class, that you uh, have a workforce that has acquired the skills that you needed and to report that to the business. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's walk it forward. So let's do, uh, I'm going to create a new domain just because I'm assuming here we don't have it. Let's say we have 10,000 skills, but this one is not part of them. And I'm going to ask you, Christopher, to Give me um, maybe a, a skills domain that okay. uh, you wish you could measure. Sure. So let's let's use my example of learning business consulting. We'll get we'll get a little bit more nuanced than the very broad general, unless you want me to go specifically with business consulting. But you tell me. Yeah, we could we could do. I think I would go with business consulting and then make it part of a learning and development industry or. Okay. You know, we, we could do, yeah, we could let's do, do any, that. Anything. Let's do business consulting. Cause again, this is going to get into some of the challenges that I'm going to press to you in terms of how do you have consistency in the organization? So let's talk about business consulting as the highest level domain. Okay. I'm going to do business consulting and then I'm going to say this domain is uh, meant to measure and upskill in what exactly? Can you break it down for me a little bit? Diagnosing root causes, um, determining opportunities for improving business processes, diagnosing where skill gaps exist and need to be closed, and designing solutions, whatever. Okay. And designing solutions. Okay. And I'm not I'm, a, I'm not to... a wordsmither. So that would be a yeah. great place to add like a generative AI bot <laughs> to just say, hey, you know, like here's what we think that is. That's right. And then, you know, we're going to say it's a non-technical domain. Uh, okay. The industry, do you want to do learning and development? 
yeah, let's do learning and development since we said we're going to kind of take this business consulting skill and focus it through the learning and development lens. Okay. What about the audience that you want to help measure, uh, give feedback and upskill? So why don't we, how granular do we want to go in this? Because I think we could say, you know, this would be something that experienced designers would need to build. They would need to build. We can focus the audience on experienced designers if we want to go that, if we want to go that granular. Yeah, we could, we could. And so okay. what, what's going to happen now is uh, I'm going to click on next and our, our models uh, are going to take that domain, identify what are the most critical competencies, skills under that domain that uh, we should be measuring if we're, uh, if we're an experienced designer trying to, um, trying to acquire those uh, competencies. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we're going to see business consulting broken down into market analysis with market research and financial analysis. Some strategic planning skills are required. Some level of human resource. We talked earlier about identifying yep. gaps, performance management, workforce planning. Information technology, so there's an IT strategy subdomain topic and an IT governance topic. Customer relations, because it's consulting. So customer engagement and customer support are part of it. And then there's part of sales and marketing and project management that we also had listed. And so this is what it found. And you can see how fast it works on our behalf. Yeah. So it found seven subdomains, 14 topics, 28 skills, ultimately within business consulting. Okay. Yeah. Which, and this goes back to, this would be where historically in a legacy analog approach, <laughs> pre-AI days, there was good reasons why business leaders went, I don't have time for this. Because if you were to really go try and do this every single time you were trying to engage with something, this would be a seemingly overwhelming ask to include space into your project planning for every single, every single initiative. Is that, is, right. I mean, is that fair to say AI is really changing the game in this? Yeah, that's right. You're, you're going to be able to show this. You're going to be able to edit it, to modify, to measure all these skills because we're going to generate the assessments uh, once we validate this skill ontology. You're also going to be able to version control that. So if in the future you feel like there are new skills in business consulting, you're not going to create from scratch a new ontology. You're going to edit an existing ontology, uh, identify the new skills, revamp the skills that are not relevant anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, and again, one of the things backstage, we, we did a little bit of uh, practice on this so that we weren't, you know, completely flying off the cuff, but what the important part, and I think this is where we have to be careful with artificial intelligence is it would be easy to go, there you go. We did business consulting. Let's just take it as is. But as I look at it as a learning leader and kind of running a bunch of teams, I would then want to say, okay, hang on though, because the way I'm doing this for business consulting for my needs is different or slightly unique because I may not care as much about the IT strategy and IT governance. So let's just say hypothetically, I was looking at this and going, you know what, for the, my needs, I actually don't need that as part of the domain for my business consulting skills. We could actually just eliminate IT and this is just hypothetical. You would say, okay, yep, that's fine. And just to get rid but, of it, yeah. Yep, but let's say within, you know, let's say one thing and, and look at what the next tier of it is because I would say business process improvement for me would be more important 
than say IT. So I would say under business consulting, I really feel strongly that there should be some degree of business process improvement skills that need to go in there. So I'm gonna take a branch here and then I'm gonna write business process improvement. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, and I'm gonna create that and we're gonna let the, the AI do the work. So we're gonna generate a branch here that is really focused on, you know, process improvement, process mapping, or even, you know, Lean Six Sigma, if you're interested in specific framework operations management, digital transformation, and all that. So it, it just built an entire new subdomain and okay. went all the way up to the skills that all start with the verb type to build okay. taxon. Okay. And again, we could sit and build this out and take the time to do it. But again, we're not talking months or weeks because let's say I said it earlier, human-centered design or experience design would be a component that didn't necessarily jump out on there. That would be, now again, that may be something that I actually would put in a different category. So let's not build it out. But I have the ability to flex on that. Now, let's say we wanted to go further because, okay, so now you've got this, but how do you make this tangible in terms of, I've now identified that this is a need as part of where we're going trajectorily. That's not even a word, I don't think. But anyway, we're going there, but now I know that I have people within this. I want to start assessing who has these skills so that we can start planning who needs to develop and what do they want to develop on? How do you take this from, all right, we've got this neat, cool spreadsheet that kind of shows the overall taxonomy of how all this stuff fits together. How do you take it further than that? Yeah. So what so comes looking, after... looking at one of those, looking at one of the purple dots. Yeah. So this is where we are at a point where we feel that our skills ontology here in business consulting matches what you want for your team to achieve and demonstrate. Okay. And so here I'm going to go and generate the assessments. Uh, so let's, let's take, I mean, you know, Lean Six Sigma, uh, if, you, if you'd like, evaluate the results of a Lean Six Sigma methodology. Or maybe process mapping. Do a process mapping one, because that to me is perfectly relevant. It's right okay, above super. it. So I could, I could even build a little bit more process mapping just to see what are the skills that we find under that. Okay, it found a few more skills. Anything sure, you want like to designing process map. There you go. Designing process map is a purple purple one where you go, okay, yep, yeah. somebody so, needs to yeah. be able to have that skill. They need to be able to demonstrate they're able to do it as part of my yeah. organization. So I would go here and I would say generate. And then here I'm going to show you an example with one type of items. So here we're going to have probably multiple choice or multiple select items, maybe uh, true false as well. And, uh, and then, you know, you can see it's working. So it's going to take about a minute and then it's going to provide you with a set of items that you can edit, regenerate, prune until you feel good about it and it's ready to go. And the point okay. of this tool is not to, let's say, compete with signature domains that are well calibrated by our psychometricians and are available to everyone, uh, but create an assessment that is relevant so you win a lot in relevancy and this impacts then the content that's going to be uh, uh, put together in front of the learners on Workera. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because as you're, and again, to your point, and I think it's a fair, even, you know, that you bring up, there are going to be, for folks listening to this, there are going to be skills or domains within your organization that, like you said, are extremely well-oiled machines. You know, I, I think of the Lean Six Sigma one back in my GE days. That, that was a well-oiled machine. Nobody was saying like, boy, we need to figure that one out type of a thing. It was prefab. 
But there were other areas that were more dynamic where there was more of this nuance around, yeah, but this is really unique to this, this specific topic or this project that really requires some nuance that before we wouldn't have actually had time or energy to actually unpack. And is that what you're trying to do is to democratize that for some of those areas where it is more nuanced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly for the areas that are more niche to your needs, we're going to ensure relevancy. And for the other areas that are more foundational, long-term, you want to have a, an extremely well-calibrated assessments and skills to rely on. And, and, and there we would use our off-the-shelf signature domains. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. this, and so now it's building out the assessment items so that you can, which again, we're talking back of the, back of the shop this is all stuff we're doing as an L&D or HR leader to kind of diagnose where do we need to go from an end user? At what point do they start engaging with this and going, and how do they engage with this? Is this yeah. something, because a lot of this would be something, again, if you had a consulting firm come in and help you with this, it'd be in a PowerPoint deck, whatever, but the end employee is not going to see the vast majority yeah. of this. So where do they interface with this? Yeah. So the entire point here is you generated the skills ontology, you generated the assessments, you did a validation through it. We identified all the related skills and the skills, uh, uh, you know, um, semantic uh, uh, um, relationship between skills so that we can predict some skills that we may not have time to measure for someone. And then the next step here is to populate the domain with content. So on that okay. part, we have three buckets of content that we uh, offer. One is our default free content, which is work era generated content for each of these skills. We're going to generate lessons of varied levels of difficulty that learners who don't have those skills upon the measurements or we predict don't have the skills upon the measurements will get in front of them in their learning plan. We also tap into paid content providers with whom we have relationships with. So if you're working with one of our providers, we uh, uh, will show their catalog. Okay, so you're integrating with you're integrating plan. with some of the other big players who have more robust content libraries that That's are right. pre That's right. and you're pre-mapping the skills to that content so that that's automated as well. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So we we are not a content player. We don't see ourselves as a content player at all, but we want to make the most out of your content. So we want to be able to orient Alice toward a certain course because she's a beginner or Bob toward another course or maybe research articles because he's more of a developing individual and maybe Laura is an accomplished individual, doesn't have time to take 200 hour classes and we will serve uh, lessons that are skill by skill on the gaps of Laura. Okay, yeah. so I want to, I'm, 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 I'm taking the screen down for a minute. Don't stop sharing because I want to go back to it, but I actually want to jump okay. into this a little bit because- if I'm understanding you correctly, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. So when you're tapping into some of these things, because this historically from an L&D standpoint can be an extremely time consuming process. You either, you get, even if you, even if you manage to get your stakeholders on board with, let's do some of this work, let's get into the granularity of where are the skill gaps? How do we actually create assessments to identify where these things are? And then let's make sure we personalize what people need. That's a boatload of work. Historically, that's a boatload of work. Even if you have, let's say, a LinkedIn library or Udemy, and again, I'm not plugging for any specific provider, but oftentimes you're left with like, oh, crap. 
now we've got to go try and source this out and figure out like, is this relevant to this? Is this actually going to help? It eats up massive, massive, massive amounts of time. And you're saying that's becoming more automated. That's right. It's becoming more automated. It, to me, it shouldn't be part of the job description of a learning and development office. They should, they should be constantly on the forefront of figuring out what yeah. are the skills we want next. They shouldn't be working on integrations. They shouldn't be working on like pooling from the market. What's the, what, what's the relevant uh, uh, SSO integrations, all sorts of integrations to come together in their platform. That's something they should have available to them. And so the idea here is we maintain a pulse on the market and we pull the right content in front of the learners based on their skills gaps, essentially. Okay. Okay. Um, because, yeah. well, and, and I think this, and the reason I brought that up was what you just described. First of all, I want to call attention to the fact, <laughs> just having done this a number of times, this is why I get so excited about what artificial intelligence is doing for us right now, because this is the kind of stuff that, I mean, it just ate up ridiculous amounts of time, which again, led to frustration with your stakeholders where they would go, I don't have six months for you to come back to me with a personalized recommendation plan for how we're going to get this project off the ground or get this business function in order. But having seen just how you walk through that process and hearing how some of this stuff is starting to come together, it would dramatically reduce the timeline of that, which one of the things I'm always cautious of is sometimes that can lead to people operating out of a scarcity mindset of, oh no, like that was my whole job. My whole job was actually trying to walk people through this. And now you just showed me wow, you just did that in a matter of minutes. But I think what excites me about that is I can't think of a time where business stakeholders have ever gone, you're moving too fast for us, or we've actually accomplished every opportunity that we could reach. So to me, this actually is allowing us to reach a greater capacity than we historically ever could have because the business just did not have the appetite for it. Yeah, and, and make more decisions based on data. You know, it, it, it takes some level of groundwork to get this in place. Then you maintain it. Then you, you keep it evolving over time. And you get all the data that you can show to the business leaders, that you can get people on board and around. It's, it's so amazing when we do our uh, executive business readouts where there's L&D and uh, chief data officers or equivalents in the room where you start showing those data. You start showing the benchmarks. You start showing how fast people are developing skills. And now L&D becomes a strategic function. It's yes. not anymore only an operational function. It is a strategic no. function because other business leaders are going to us. So what do we do? We're behind. What do we do? And then the learning uh, uh, experts can come in and say, this is the area that I want to invest in. These are the programs I want to put in place. This is how I want to budget. And that's where it becomes a super strategic uh, discussion. Yeah. Well, and if you can you flip back to the flip back to where you were showing stuff? Because what I'm as I'm looking at this, to your point about it becoming a more strategic business conversation is as you're going through this, you have more quantitative infrastructure to have that strategic discussion around versus just hypothetical kind of shooting the breeze. Well, what if we did this? Because now let's just say hypothetically, we were to go through this and we went down the business processing or business process mapping. And we went through yeah. that and we said, we really think we need to build skills here and that's going to have the kind of impact and we now go through that exercise and see 
It's actually increasing the skill there, but it's not making the intended impact. You now have the ability to have a strategic business discussion around, I think we need to pivot. I think we need to change directions because what we thought was going to make an impact isn't actually making an impact. That's right. That's right. You can have that. And even I would say the most common is here we generate our assessments. We administer uh, the assessments. Obviously, we don't have time to test people on all these skills. Look how big it is. No, well, that's but- that was the other thing that I was going to say. If people look at that, <laughs> and that's yeah. why I'm asking from an end user standpoint, what is their interface with this? Because oh, yeah, I can yeah. tell you right now, if I'm a, if I'm, let's say I'm a leader of an L and D team, and I go, hey, all right, I'm going to create this new domain for you, and I push it out, and they show up and go you want me to grow in 37 different areas and do 16 different things associated with that's like skill development overload. So how do you help navigate that? So people don't just get bombarded and go, I can't even deal with this. And uh, Weihan, I see your question. So I will get to that one. Yeah. So what, what happens is here, uh, actually, I probably can pull it up and show you. So, so basically okay. people are going to get invited to, uh, let me show you one second. Yeah, people are going to get invited to uh, a learning plan that includes these business consulting assessments that has items generated, questions generated for all the relevant skills. You invite them and then actually let me flip my screen to the other one uh, if that's okay. okay. All right, we'll go back to this mode and then I'll flip it back once you're sharing again. Because that's the part that as I was looking at it, again, super exciting. And then at the same time, I'm also thinking from an experience design standpoint, I'm going to look at that and go, if I get that showing up in my inbox, I'm going to throw up and just go, I don't, I don't have time to do all this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Can you see my screen? Yep. Yep, I can. Yeah. So here, uh, you know, we, we, we're not going to have time to do all the assessments, but Essentially, sure. uh, you set up your people on a pathway. So this is an example of a pathway. Okay. Obviously, it doesn't. It does not include the one that you just created. But uh, Christina, which is a, a learner here, has several cores to go through. She has a core core one with uh, four mandatory domains. She has a core two. She has a core three, and then she may be even specializing into the area that she prefers in computer vision, okay. in natural language processing. So all of this has been created for her. And then okay. when when she goes on her homepage right now, she's evaluated on her core one. So there's four assessments that she has taken, business analytics, data science, machine learning. Each of these, uh, they follow the ontology that you created. Obviously, as I said, we don't have time to test uh, uh, her on all uh, the skills that you have in the ontology. So we use computer adaptive testing as initial pre-assessment. So we may test her on within 25 minutes on average on uh, 15 to 20 skills and then predict using the semantics other skills. So if I know okay. that she has very advanced competencies in process mapping in the ontology that you created, I'm not going to spend time asking her on the more basic competencies of process mapping. I, won't, I don't want to waste okay. her time. So I'm going to- Yeah, so you're automatically her. personalizing some of that and generating insights based on, okay, if they're performing here and this, then we're going to go back because they we, we already can assume that these other things are taken care of. And but again, from an end user standpoint, this is personalized to them. They're not seeing the whole macro thing. And again, as a leader or a learning leader, you're involved in kind of saying like, hey, these are the things that need to get pushed out to this individual. They're not 
being dumped the whole thing and going, now you figure out how you're going to manage it all. That's right. That's right. And then the next step is after completing those assessments, Christina is going to get feedback on her gap. So she's going to start seeing the ontology you created, but it will be given uh, contextualized on her competencies. This is where we think you, you have a gap. This is where we think you're good. And then upon that, uh, she's going to access her learning plan connected you know, with whoever provider you have, recommending the relevant courses depending on her level of proficiency. And all of that will be shown then on your admin profile. How much process, how much progress is she making? What are the aggregate skills uh, across your team in all the areas that you've assessed? What is the distribution of skills in different proficiency levels and their descriptors? And how are skills improving over time? So this is really the strategic dashboard for uh, learning developers to understand how is a a skills being developed internally. Okay. Okay. So this is, um, and I really like, well, and Greg, your comment here is, is spot on as well. As we think about how does this then become full life cycle talent development? Because yes, this should be mapped then back into your performance management cycle of saying, Hey, these are the skills that I know you're now developing in. Let's talk about that. This changes the way managers have conversations with their direct reports to be able to say, hey, these are the kinds of things that you're growing on. Here's where we're not seeing the kind of growth. And I think this is, again, the lines are blurring between learning and development and just the broader talent management sector is, is an observation I'm seeing across the board. Yeah, I, I, I think Greg is making a great point. I, I'm not a fan of performance uh, reviews or those systems because I believe that uh, this is meant to be used on a weekly basis by a manager. It's like, I'm looking yes. at it and I'm having my one-on-one with you and we're looking at this ontology and we're like, hey, I put it there because I care about those skills. You don't have them. So let's have them next week. Let's make sure you go through your learning plan and complete them. And this is more of introducing a continuous uh, uh, a feedback loop between the manager, the employee. Well, uh, and to your point, I so here's the thing. I agree with you 100% that this should be changing the way managers are engaging with their employees because this shouldn't be a once a year we check in on it. But I think to your point, I, I was I went through the whole cycle where organizations like dumped the performance review and then they brought them back because they realized, well, we need this for comp- or compensation and all this other stuff. And so I think, again, it's about integrating all those things together. But to your point, I think this allows you to have more actionable, meaningful conversations with your direct reports on a regular basis and have something quantifiable to discuss versus I feel like you're doing a good job or I feel like you're not, you know, you have an area to grow. It's like, well, no, we can actually see you're developing these skills. And then if I'm not seeing it play out in action, we can have that discussion. That's right. And you're not thinking, hey, what course am I going to give this person next week to complete or what article I'm no. going to send them? You care about, Hey, here are the skills. Here are the skills I care for this project. And, uh, and the rest is taken care of. You know, the rest is, yeah. is measured and uh, uh, given in personalized learning. So that's, that's the, the Holy grail. That's why we work so hard to get this out the door to, to companies. So two, fo- I, I, I knew we were going to run out of time for this. So let's see how quickly we can assess these things. So Weehan asked the question, in terms of the reliability of assessing the skills, how, how is the system doing that? Or what kind of ways are you doing that to get a multifaceted view into your skill assessment so that it's not just, well, I passed a three question multiple choice 
quiz type of a thing. What kind of assessments do you have built into that to actually drive validated skill development? Yeah, actually, if you flip it uh, on my screen, uh, Christopher. Yep, it's back. We, so we have, you can see that some of our domains have this little uh, work area uh, logo. Those are called signature okay. domains. So those domains uh, are the ones that we recommend for a higher stage assessment. So if you were to, uh, if you wanted a, a more valid signals, we would recommend those. Business analytics in, in the example here has been taken by thousands of people, probably over 10,000. It's been very well right. calibrated. Psychometricians have calibrated the items. Uh, there's all the statistics that we have. Even benchmarks are present. So you can compare to okay. industries, geographies, etc. The one that we created with Christopher today, it is not calibrated yet. It does follow... Yep all the best practices. So in the background, we built our all psychometrics processes so that we can have an argument for validity, but it does not okay. have data behind it yet. As you're going to administer this, we will calibrate for you over time and tell you when we okay. see this assessment is now more valid. But to be fair, some assessments you want high validity because those are foundational skills you want to develop yes. over many years. Some assessment you want relevancy. You know, in this case, you just want something that works on the skills you care about. And, you know, it's just a different flavor. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I think that's a really good point. Um, but I appreciate the nuance that you have to that. And I think this is an area that over time, because Greg, to the comments you've been making, this is a dynamic shift in the way people think and talk and act as it relates to skills, because we're moving away from just content consumption and you know theoretical academic. We're really getting into this. I think over time, we're just going to see more and more of those red check boxes be populated because, well, we have more data, we have more things, but the point of there's best practices around it. And I think the other thing that highlights is this is where, when sometimes I hear people paranoid about AI taking away from us and the role we play. If anything, everything we showed and went through in this, you very much need to be involved in that. You need to be involved in determining, hey, is this, a, is this really going to get us the level of assessment that you need for what you're trying to do for this or not? And if not, well, then let's like actually build this out. Let's go a little bit further. Or you know, there's a very human element and a human in the loop in that whole process. That everything we showed, even though AI is critical to its success, to me, that's not something you would ever just say, here, let the algorithm do it. I'm going to go you know, take a nap and I'll trust that it works. Yeah, for sure. And we also have internally agreed that we can share with you that says, what are the stakes we recommend for different levels of calibration of our assessments, okay. depending on what you mm -hmm. want to do? Are you looking at it for upskilling, for recruiting, for uh, internal mobility? Those are different use cases that require different validities. Okay. Okay. This has been, I knew we were going to run it because we didn't even get to half of the stuff that I was planning on getting to. Cause where I wanted to go <laughs> next is like, how do you even govern and manage all of this? Because there's a whole nother layer of complexity behind all of this. Um, but, and, and Cameron, I see your question too on like, you know, Hey, is there a way for like a feedback loop where, you know, learners can help give feedback on how these things we will have more than enough questions. Um, and again, we talked last year, the product has come so far from the last time we talked, we will have to get you back on, but definitely folks, if, as you're hearing about this, 
you're interested, Kian, I'm sure people can reach out. Um, but I'm really, again, this was great to not only talk about what's possible, but to see concretely how AI is actually changing the game with how we address skills, how we make it tangible, and how we actually can become more of a strategic business partner to our organizations. That's right. Yeah, I know it was a pleasure being back on the show, Christopher, and thank you for the questions and giving us the opportunity to share an update on what we're up to. I'm sure next time we talk, we're going to have even more. <laughs> you know, at the pace at the pace at which AI is moving, I have no doubt that what we've seen today will only be a glimmer of where we're going to be going. So thank you so much. Thanks everybody for all the engagement and the comments and the questions along the way. Hopefully this gave you a little bit of an insight into what's possible as we move to a more strategic skill-based organization and how we can play a leading role as driving our business forward versus the content shop. And to me, this is a very bright future that we very much can play a leading role in. So thank you for the time, everybody. Thanks for watching and listening. Thank you so much, Kian, for being here. And we will see you all next week.